Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome to Thread, Season 3, Episode 25. Thread is God's Word tying together all the pieces of your life as a person in ministry, whether it's informally or as a vocation. In Season 3, we're moving through 2 Corinthians, and today's thread covers Chapter 11, verses 1 through 21. It's a teaching about um, how we need to help God's people avoid being abused at the hands of false ministers. Paul's going to talk about five notable ways that such people uh, damage others in ministry. And uh, it's important if you're going to, you know, really take good care of the sheep that God gives you, that we also have to tell them about the real world and about what the devil is always trying to do against the church. So this is an important topic and one that I hope um, you'll take notes on and it'll enter into your discipleship of others because there's a true and there's a false. There's a true church and a false church. There's true ministers. There's false ministers. And while we don't want to be constantly critical of other people in this day and time where the most horrible things are being done, in religion all over the world, uh, and every kind of religion, uh, we just really have to help our people discern the difference between the true and the false, okay? So that is the background of this chapter 11 of Second Corinthians. Paul is in a battle, an ongoing battle, with false ministers. There are people that have entered into the Corinthian group, and they, they do not have spiritual authority. They do not have God's authority on them. What they have is the ability to put on a really good religious show. And this show gives them status. And they try to use this status as a masquerade for anointing and authority. And they've come into the group, and they've got big personalities, and they're you know, really good uh, speakers, and, they are, and they're self-promoters, and they are demanding that the people of Corinth show loyalty to them and like turn away from Paul and away from those who have led them to Christ and accept their authority over them and submit to them as their heads. And so as Paul is thinking about how to address this, because he's, he's battled it from many different angles, he takes a different tack this time, and he begins an extended um, reasoning against these leaders and he says he's going to start with the subject of the you know there's like a childlike innocence that god he seeks it from humans who want to enter into a relationship with him you know jesus said unless you become like a little child you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven you know there's this naive innocence that is a precious thing to god he doesn't want us to be jaded and hard And so Paul's going to start his reasoning at this point. He says in in verse 2, he he draws an analogy from marriage. And he says, there is only one person, one man, to whom you owe allegiance. There's only one to whom you must submit yourself. And that is to Christ, your husband. No one else has absolute personal authority over you. This is a huge point. And I hope Christians get this all over the world. I mean, I've been a pastor for over 20 years and I know the importance of being allowed to lead and the importance of having people follow your leadership 
and it allows you to do your job. It, without it, you just can't do your job. But I also know that there are limits to a pastor's authority, and some guys don't, they don't want there to be much of a limit. They want to have almost absolute authority. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians, these men are wanting what does not belong to them. And he, he gives this analogy. He says, I, have a, uh, I intend to deliver you to your husband, still a virgin. You know, that is, my authority that, you, that I have, my authority is delegated to me from your spiritual husband to bring you to him safely. I am not here to replace him as your spiritual crush. And we need this teaching. I mean, there's some people in ministry and they are, it's like they want to be people's crush. They, they get off on that whole star thing and the, the way that people fawn over them. And, you know, anyway, we build our own image. Uh, someone said to me uh, just this last week, it was, a, it was a very young Christian. And he said, you know, like online there's a thing called an avatar. And it's not really you, but it's the, it's the symbol of you. And he said, we all become our avatar. So if you start building an, an image for yourself, then you eventually try to become that image. And so Paul talks in verse 3 about how the devil will attack what he calls the simplicity that is in Christ, that childlike innocence of a, of a young believer toward the Lord. You know, we even had songs like, um, I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. And I remember a man saying to me once, I don't want to sing that song. It's like a romantic song. And I get it. I understand what he's saying. And, and he felt we had gone a little too far in, in like humanizing this relationship between the Lord. But I also completely understand that song. I know what it means to fall in love with him over and over again. And to just, you know, to be in the company of people and they're telling something the Lord has done. And someone says, that's just like the Lord. You know, and they're just this adoring of the person of Jesus. And Paul says, this is a precious thing. And the devil is going to attack the simplicity that's in you, that, that childlike sincerity. Um, I, I remember when I sort of lost my ministerial virginity. I, was, I had followed the Lord into this ministry totally sincere. I had never been around anyone but, but um, other ministers my age, and we were all just the same level of sincerity. And then, and my overseers who were really good models. And I remember being, uh, I had been in ministry about mm, seven or eight years. And I remember being invited to sit on the stage at a large gathering. This was like way out of my league. And um, on the stage with me were all these sort of superstar guys. And I'm just this kid. And I remember sitting there and one of them was about to preach and they introduced him, and it was like a crazy, over-the-top glorification of him. But and you know, God was getting them all charged up. And as the man leaned out of his seat, he turned to the rest of us, and he said, All right, guys, watch this. And he strode to the pulpit, went into the hallelujah, hard preaching stuff. He had those people shouting and yelling and you know, it's like, I just thought, oh, Lord, I just want away from here. I don't, I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to be near him. And who am I sitting with? You know, it just, it's, it really scared me. Uh, 
And I just felt like, surely this can't be the ministry. You know, surely that, that can't be what it's like from the people that I so admire and thought, you know, had it all together. That man, I'm guessing, started his ministry in total sincerity with this simplicity that is in Christ. And somehow he drifted slowly into whatever he was by that night. And Paul says, it's not the culture. It's not, it's not that, uh, you know, we're just imitating Hollywood or whatever. Paul says, it's spiritual darkness. It will attack the sincerity that's in your heart. It will try to make you jaded. It will attack anyone who sincerely wants to follow the Lord and do His work in the world. In verse 3, Paul turns to the people and he says, I'm afraid that just like the serpent completely deceived Eve through his cleverness, you too might become corrupted in your... The Greek word is noema, and it means you're in your thoughts, in your purpose, in the inner design of you, away from the simplicity, the sincerity, the purity that is in Christ. So Paul said, ah, I do not want you to become deceived by the serpents, and I don't want them to twist you, and you lose this precious thing. And then he, he gets frustrated at the people because they're just being sheep. He says, you seem to yield to the one who comes and proclaims a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel than the one we proclaim to you. So just as Eve engaged the serpent, I mean, she should have stomped on it, but she engages the serpent. She talks, lets the serpent talk back. And Adam stands there dumbly and watches this whole thing happen. And Paul says to the people, you are responsible. You have been given authority over yourself and God has given you this, this precious gift of simplicity in Christ, just to love the Lord with all your heart and serve Him with absolute simplicity. And if you allow yourself to listen to perversions of the gospel, per- revisions of who Jesus is and what His work is all about, being open to all these different kinds of spirits, rather than this one simple fact of connecting to God through Jesus Christ. Paul says it's it's on you because as a virgin bride cherishes her naive dream of marriage to her hero and she's blind to the charms of all other men. That's how Paul relates to Christ. And that's how he wants them to relate to Christ. They keep getting their eyes on these guys and these men are being so impressive and it's like they're they're getting sort of like spiritual crushes on these men. And he says, it's almost like adultery, he's saying. Let me read uh, Philippians 3, 10, 11. Paul says, how changed are my ambitions. Now I long to know Christ. I long to know the power shown by His resurrection. I long to share in His sufferings, even to die as He died. You know, Paul loves the Lord. He's been reborn to be a man in Christ. And he knows the devil's going to fight the Corinthians for this prize of just childlike love of Jesus and try to substitute something so much less. Substitute men in costumes as Christian stars. False ministry. It's the devil's attack on the true church. And, you know, Eve had her attack in the Garden of Eden and God's children are going to be attacked by false ministry. And it's serious. Souls are in the balance. 
You know, people will come to the church seeking the prize of knowing Christ and they'll be offered wax fruit instead. And it's a serious matter. And Paul drills down for the whole rest of this chapter to talk about false ministry, the attack of false ministry on the people of God and on the true church. So Paul uh, refers to them in verse 5 as the extra super apostles. And I don't think here he's referring to the Jerusalem apostles because he really has high regard for those brothers. When Paul says, I'm not behind, I'm not at all inferior to the most eminent, mine is New King James, the most eminent apostles. In the Greek, it's kind of like extra super duper apostles. Uh, These are play actors because later on he points at them directly and says they are fake apostles, the super duper apostles. They're his target throughout this chapter. And he'll go on to finish describing in the next few chapters the signs of a true apostle and all the things that such a person is going to go through for the Lord versus these people who only want to be lords over God's people and get whatever benefit they can out of the church. Verses 5 through 12, let me summarize that, that package. He says, in the end, it's always about money. You know, they want money. And so Paul had a policy in verse 12, he refers to it. Paul had a policy when he was in this region not to allow the church that he was serving to support him. He would work for his own income, and he did that not because he didn't believe in church support, because he was actually, while he was at Corinth, he was being supported by Macedonian Christians who had less money than the Corinthians, but he wouldn't take a cent from the Corinthians. He did a job that they felt was a a humiliating, not humiliating, but it wasn't highly esteemed, you know? Like, let's say he's working at a car wash or something like that. You know, he's... He's doing something that they thought was beneath uh, an apostle, you know. And so th- that's what these guys are saying. But Paul did that on purpose, and he tells them his reason in verses 5 through 12. He says, I did this because I knew that these false ministers are coming, and they have no desire to minister without pay. So I ministered to you without pay, so they'd have to deal with that. So what they've done is to try to build some case about you know, Paul's weakness that he wouldn't even take support and trying to make a negative out of it. And he says, I did it on purpose. I did it to show you who they are. Let's look at 13 through 15. Paul says, such are false apostles. They are workers of deceit. They transform themselves into apostles of Christ. You know, they're not transformed by Christ. They transformed themselves into apostles. They dressed themselves up as apostles of Christ. Paul says, verse 14, And no wonder Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. So it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So he does not say these are... um, You know, these are brothers who've lost their way. He's got none of that. He says, these are the devil's workers taking up ministry position. They are fake apostles, and they are there to discredit the real thing, and they are there to hurt you. You know, um, I've been in 
I don't know, only God knows how many churches I've been in in my lifetime. And I've seen all different kinds of churches and all different levels of church health. And, you know, I've been in some churches that, that like, rightly, uh, I've been in some churches that are mean to their pastors, and that's terrible to be in those. And then I've been in other churches that are, they're, like, rightly honoring of their pastors. And then I've been in other churches which are, like, crazy pampering so much special stuff for the pastor. He gets anything he wants and takes advantage of it. And, like, you know, someone greets you as soon as you come out, tells you that they're your, you know, they're your armor bearer and they're defending you and they're protecting you from this and that. And, and you get the special seat and the special everything. And they're just, it's just an incredible amount of perks. And I remember looking at that as a, as a church planner and thinking, wow, how these people are just so into who they call the anointed ones. Uh, and, you know, one side of me would say, oh, I wish my church did this. And then I realized, no, this isn't natural. You have to train people to see you this way. You have to teach them to see you as being above them. It's a form of abuse. It's an attack on the simplicity that is in Christ. You know, why am I not their brother in Christ? Why do I have to appear superior to them in some way? You know, we're dealing with that even in mission settings. You know, pastors who won't attend uh, congregational, like things that are healthy for their church because they don't want to appear to need to learn about anything. They have to be above it and have to be above the people. And Paul says all of this, all of it, it's a form of abuse on God's people. And he describes in chapter 16, uh, sorry, the same chapter 11, verses 16 through 21, he describes five types of abuse that the people will suffer from false ministers. And, uh, and, but, you know, don't forget his earlier point. He says, it's on you, Corinthians. You know, you're not little sheep that don't know right from wrong. Your heart tells you this isn't right. You're supposed to be in love with only Jesus, like bowing before only Jesus. These guys are going to abuse you. And I'm trying to be a good dad in your life. I'm trying to bring you to your husband as a virgin still. And these men are trying, in a sense, to steal your virtue. They're trying to steal you away and directly connect you to them. They want you to be crazy about them. They want you to adore them. They want you to serve them. And in verse 20, and he says, and you put up with it. You let them do it. You join into this thing. Verse 20, he, he lays out five things. I'm just going to go through them kind of quick. Number one, he says, they will bring you into bondage. And literally in the Greek, it means they will make you their slaves. You will be their little people. You will be their slaves. And Paul says, you put up with it. You serve them like slaves, not like a brother, not like someone who's under true spiritual authority, but like slavery in this world. They're big, you're little. You know. So Paul says, they are going to bring you into a form of bondage. Secondly, he says, they are going to devour you. And uh, I guess in English, we have an expression like, suck you dry, like you take an orange or something, you just suck all the moisture out of it, and there's nothing much left. Uh, I've had the privilege of sharing meals with people from all over the world, and it's been a delight and an adventure to see how people eat in different cultures. And if you want to see somebody eat chicken, you need to go to Africa, because when Africans are finished with the chicken, there's almost nothing left. They will chew 
the bones, even the leg bones, they will crush and crunch and crunch and suck out all the marrow, eat all the cartilage. In the end, there will be a very, very small pile of bones and nothing more. There'll be no skin, no nothing. That chicken is gone. You know, It is devoured. And Paul says, that's what they're going to do to you. They are going to suck everything they can out of you. They will, verse uh, the third one, they will take from you. And uh, the expression he uses is something in Greek like a bird in a trap. It means they will catch you and you can't get away. And then they will take and take and take because you're trapped. You're in their hands and they will take from you. Fourth thing, Paul says, they will exalt themselves. They will want special titles, special clothes, special perks, special places. They will want you to pamper them and they will lift themselves up. And finally, Paul says, and then they will assault you. And the word he uses means physically and verbally to assault, to strike in the face. You know, you either... You either say something to their face that makes them lose face and you humiliate and break them or you physically hit them in the face. You know, at this stage of escalation, these false ministers feel so entitled that they physically and even sometimes sexually abuse other people. I have heard so many stories of people who are you know, like big, big name evangelist people physically hitting people, you know, impatient because they're not being handed something fast enough, even on stage, even in the middle of, of their ministry show. Paul said it'll get to that point. If you let these people be your lords, they're going to feel so entitled that eventually they're going to hurt you. They're going to physically slap and push people around. And, it, you know, it's really sickening that we have seen this exact pattern from false ministers throughout church history and never more than today when church has become such big business. But it's kind of important to note it was happening already when we didn't even have a Bible yet, you know, because these verses are some of the first things written to Christians. So we didn't have a New Testament, and yet it's already going on in the church. But then again, there is no fake, you know, $25 bill. You only counterfeit what is real. And the devil will always do everything he can to mess up the real church and cause the reputation of this amazing thing called the ministry to suffer. Satan wants the ministry to become associated with the kind of snakes Paul was wrestling against at Corinth. You know, a pure ministry, sincere, childlike, a pure ministry is an awesome thing. Lives are changed forever. Families are rescued. Destinies are discovered. These ministries, they are, they're the lifeblood of what's going on in the kingdom of God all over the world. Pure ministries. And they're the opposite spirit from these five types of abuse. You know, instead of bringing people into bondage and making them your slaves, these ministries set people free from their bondage. Instead of devouring them, they will feed them. Instead of taking from them, they will give to them. Instead of exalting themselves up, they will 
they'll exalt Christ, but they'll also build the people up. They won't build themselves up. They'll build the people up. And instead of assaulting people physically, they'll give them warm hugs and positive touch and let them know that they are loved and accepted and forgiven by God and by his people. The church is the people of God on earth, engaging people and delivering God's invitation to them to leave the darkness and enter his family. But the church is no better than its leaders. And false leaders have always been a powerful form of attack on the true church. So we need to train God's people to be strong, build big people, help them stand on their own two feet. We don't need Christians to say, oh, someone needs to feed me. I mean, I've got, I've got grandchildren all around me, and at a year and a half, they feed themselves. You don't need, if you need someone to feed you and you're a grown-up Christian, you haven't been raised right. We have spiritual authority. And God's people need to have leaders who empower them, who don't ride on their shoulders, but who get underneath them and push them up and build big people. Okay, how do we do this? By modeling authentic spirituality and by integrating the life and teachings of Jesus into every thought we have and in all of our interactions with others. God is looking for leaders like this. And you know what? People are too. They're so hungry. And today, the big battle is not church growth. It's church health. So, my friend, that is largely up to you. God has given you a measure of spiritual authority. And he has brought people to you. And he will continue to expand the size of your tent as you prove to him that you will focus on his children and make them stronger and build them up and not use them for your own benefit. That's just beautiful teaching. I love the ministry. I love God's people. I, I go all over the world just doing all I can to help the church and help new leaders rise up. And, you know, a lot of them are in pastoral roles, but there's a whole new kind of minister coming up. And they are they do things that are not related to church. And part of it is how how messed up the church as an organization has gotten. It's gotten to the point that in many places it is... It, mm, it's not that it's just toxic. It's that the machinery and culture of church works against you know, church. It works against what church is, is set up to do. It has become a thing of its own. And in the head of that are leaders who benefit personally from that system. And that's why young people are really having a, a hard time figuring out their place. They love the Lord they want to serve him, but not in that system anymore. And I, God's going to redo this. It's not that, uh, you know, oh, no, we're going to lose churches. We're really not. We're the, some of those other kind of churches are going to die, and they're already dying all over the world, all over the world. But there's new things, you know, there's a new kind of church being born, and it's, it's, it looks different, and thank God for it. It's the rebirth of his people, but it's still built on the exact same principles as the New Testament church. And that's why it's so important that we study the early model and look for the mistakes and also look for the victories in those days. I hope you're enjoying this study. Um, and that's all for this episode. But if you're enjoying Thread, please share the podcast with your friends. Just use the button uh, in the player on your screen. 
and don't forget to uh, subscribe because we're going to launch a new podcast when this one is over, when we finish 2 Corinthians. And I want to talk to you about that, but I can't if I don't have your email address. So if you will subscribe, I'll get your email address and I'll be able to let you know what's coming after we finish up this season. Thanks a lot. This week, expect God to use you because you are the light of the world. So shine on. Thank you.